If you listen to Can He Do That for a weekly dive into how our government works, here's another recommendation for you. Civics 101 from New Hampshire Public Radio. Civics 101 is a podcast refresher course on some basics you may have forgotten or slept through in school. Recent episodes have explained the role of the Secret Service, the Vice President, and even constitutional amendments. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. On the 2016 campaign trail, then-candidate Trump repeatedly led a very popular chant at his rallies. Trump told voters that his opponent in the presidential race, Hillary Clinton, could not be trusted, mostly for her use of a private email server while she was secretary of state. In a presidential debate in October, Trump said, If I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation, because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. You ought to be ashamed of Secretary yourself. Secretary Clinton, I want to follow up on that. I'm going to let you talk But about once Trump now. took office, he toned down his rhetoric and suggested he would not, in fact, seek to prosecute Clinton. That is, until recently. Trump has now been calling for the Justice Department to look into Clinton's email server, donations to the Clinton Foundation, and the sale of U.S. mines to a company called Uranium One. In a recent radio interview on The Larry O'Connor Show, Trump said, Criminal. Uh, but, you know, the saddest thing is that because I'm the President of the United States, I am not supposed to be involved with the Justice Department. I'm not supposed to be involved with uh, the FBI. I'm not supposed to be doing the kind of things that I would love to be doing. And I'm very frustrated by it. I look at what's happening with the Justice Department. Why aren't they going after Hillary Clinton with her emails and with her uh, the dossier and the kind of money? Trump also ramped up tweets on the subject, saying, at some point, the Justice Department and the FBI must do what is right and proper. The American public deserves it. All of this increased pressure from a sitting president on the apolitical Justice Department seems unconventional. So, is it? How much can and should a president influence the Justice Department when it comes to criminal investigations? That's right. This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. On this week's episode, The Washington Post's fact-checker Glenn Kessler explains the complicated details of the Uranium One deal. Plus, we'll talk to a former deputy special prosecutor about the role that the Justice Department and special investigations play in American democracy. Here with me to offer expertise from his reporting is Washington Post national security reporter Devlin Barrett. Devlin, in a letter that The Post obtained earlier this week, Attorney General Jeff Sessions suggested that he may appoint a special prosecutor to investigate Hillary Clinton, to investigate her emails, to investigate the Clinton Foundation, and also something called Uranium One, which we'll get to later. Why is Sessions suggesting exploring these things now? Well, he's been under a lot of pressure to do this, or at least think about doing this, for months and months. Principally, that pressure has come from the White House in the form of tweets from the president uh, insisting that this needed to be investigated, but also from House Republicans. And the letter he sent was a response to what House Republicans have been demanding. And Sessions testified also at a congressional hearing this week. Did we learn anything from his testimony about how likely or unlikely he is to actually pursue a special counsel? 
He said he was very open to it. At one point, one of his comments was interpreted in the middle of the hearing to mean that he was skeptical of the idea of appointing a special counsel. And then he went back and said, look, just to be clear, if anyone's sensing any skepticism in me on this point, they shouldn't. We are taking this seriously. We are seriously considering it. But he also didn't commit to it either. He said, What he said was, we will have a bunch of senior prosecutors look at this and make some recommendations to us as to whether it merits a special counsel. And based on your reporting thus far, are there grounds for having a special counsel at this point? Well, it would certainly be, I think the way to frame it is it would certainly be a pretty unusual move to appoint a special counsel to investigate Hillary Clinton. One of the sort of quirks of this whole process is that the Republicans, obviously the president chief among them, who have been demanding an investigation of this, they keep talking about a special counsel as if that in itself means it's important. But that's not actually how a special counsel or why a special counsel is appointed. Special counsels are appointed when there's some ethical issue that might prevent the regular prosecutors, the regular Justice Department, from investigating a subject. So essentially for investigating yourself. One of the odd inferences of what Jeff Sessions has done is that he's implying that he may be too ethically challenged to run an investigation of this. But Hillary Clinton isn't in the government. Hillary Clinton is not part of this administration, other than the basic logic of, well, there's a special counsel for Russia, so we should have a special counsel for Hillary Clinton. Legally, there's not much logic to it yet. But one reason that Sessions might not be able to actually appoint a special counsel is that he's recused himself from investigations that involve the 2016 campaign. Well, he has, but that's part of what's weird about this, too, because he's recused himself from issues related to 2016. At the same time, he's talking about a possible special counsel for the Clinton Foundation or for Uranium One or for any number of issues involving Hillary Clinton, who ran for president in 2016. He didn't make clear how he distinguishes between his recusal and this consideration of a special counsel. It, it's one of the really, like, frankly, large unanswered questions in this whole process. So we have this ongoing investigation into possible coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia. Is that investigation in any way related to this proposed Clinton investigation? Legally, no. But there's a lot of folks who are current and former Justice Department officials who say politically it's absolutely related because there seems to be a, a desire on the part of both the president and a bunch of Republicans that essentially there be a special counsel for the other side too. Mm -hmm. And so legally there's no real through line from many of the Hillary Clinton issues to the, the Robert Mueller investigation. But there seems to be a desire, certainly on the part of the president, because he says it and tweets it on a fairly regular basis, which is, why are you investigating me? Shouldn't you be investigating Hillary Clinton? Let's talk a little bit more about what Republicans, led by House Judiciary Committee Chairman Bob Goodlatte, and of course by the president as well, are suggesting actually needs to be investigated. Right. So, so first, they want to investigate whether donations to the Clinton Foundation have been tied to political favors when Clinton was Secretary of State. Is is that a right. basis for an investigation based on your reporting? It certainly could be, and it's certainly something that the FBI looked into in the past. You know, there's been a, a significant amount of reporting as to investigating that the FBI did in 2015 and 2016 into that very issue. But ultimately, it's been reported that the Justice Department prosecutors decided there wasn't really enough there to open a full-fledged investigation, and the matter was largely dropped. So it has been looked at, and it has been looked at for a long time. And I, the, what the Republicans are saying is it needs to be looked at harder and tougher. 
Right, but the Justice Department should be able to do that, given that Clinton is not herself in office currently. Right. There, there's no clear reason that anyone has given as to why that needs a special counsel. If you think about past special counsels, one of the classic special counsel cases was a special counsel to investigate the FBI's handling of Waco. There, the rationale was, well, you can't really have the FBI investigate the FBI to see if the FBI did anything wrong. So you need someone removed from that command structure to do that. So that's what they did. Hillary Clinton is not part of any of the Trump administration's command structure. It doesn't make sense the way those past special counsels have made sense. So another thing they want to look into, or Republicans want to look into again, are Hillary Clinton's emails that right. she, uh, from her private server when she was Secretary of State. Have we not explored that enough? Uh, you know, some people say no. The FBI has explored it a lot. The Justice Department has explored it a lot. And essentially, they, they are arguing for reopening that case and having another look because they don't like the way then-FBI Director Jim Comey handled it. And that's, that's a repeating theme for a lot of the stuff they want looked at. It's, it's things that the FBI has already in investigated and essentially dropped, and they, they aren't happy with that, and they want to go back and they want it reinvestigated. And does some of their dissatisfaction with how Jim Comey handled things stem from what we saw between Jim Comey and the president after Comey was fired? It's a hard question to answer in some ways because one of the stated reasons for Comey's firing was that he was unfair to Hillary Clinton in his handling of the Clinton investigation. Yet so much else that is said by both the president and Republicans who want to reopen this issue is that fundamentally he wasn't tough enough on Hillary Clinton. So they seem to be contradictory arguments, contradictory impulses, but they all revolve around a basic notion, which I think is troublesome to a lot of lawyers and a lot of DOJ people, which is politicians insisting on who and what should be investigated. where Republicans are seeking an investigation is, as we've mentioned, the Uranium One deal. Uranium One is a Canadian company with rights to mines in the United States that was purchased by Russia in 2010. Questions have been raised about the U.S. government's decision to allow the purchase to go through and what Hillary Clinton's role may have been in that decision. Now, this issue is very complicated and deciphering what's true and what's not true about this deal requires the help of our Washington Post fact-checker, Glenn Kessler. Here's Glenn. So President Trump has claimed that, and I'm going to quote him here, Hillary Clinton's State Department approved the transfer of 20% of America's uranium holdings to Russia, while nine investors in the deal funneled $145 million to the Clinton Foundation. So let's assess this. He's referring to a deal with Uranium One. So first and foremost, what is Uranium One? Uranium One is a Canadian company. And what do they do? They have holdings in various parts of the world that extract uranium. The United States holdings are actually a pretty small part of what they hold. So how did they come to have United States holdings to begin with? Well, it's just investments. So mm -hmm. it was a... I don't know exactly when the investments were made, but the reason why Uranium One, this Canadian company, was attractive to the Russian Energy Agency, which purchased it in 2010, was not because of the U.S. holdings. It's because this Canadian company had 
rather large holdings in mines in Kazakhstan. And those mines produce way more uranium than anything that is produced in the United States. So that's why the Russians wanted it for Kazakhstan. Okay, so they bought Uranium One as a company for the Kazakhstan holdings, and that included American holdings as well. Correct. Okay. Now, that whole decision-making process to purchase Uranium One, does that involve the State Department? Well, under U.S. law, when a foreign company decides that they're going to buy an American company, or at least a company with American holdings, if there's some possible national security issue then a committee made up of nine agencies decides whether or not uh, it, it should go through. So those are nine major U.S. agencies, the State Department among them. Right. The interagency group is called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CIFAS. And CIFAS is actually headed by the Treasury Department. So the Treasury Secretary is, an, is really in charge of the process. The State Department is one of the agencies that has a seat at the table. And how do they make decisions? Well, frankly, it's really not that big a deal, this agency. Generally, it's lower-level individuals that meet and assess whether or not they should block the transaction. It's mainly to look at it and say, is this bad for the United States? And one agency member can say, we have a problem. And if they have a problem, then it gets kicked up to the president for a decision. So in this case, the State Department was represented by the Assistant Secretary of State for Economic Affairs. And he has said that he never had a conversation with Hillary Clinton about it. It just wasn't important enough to raise to the Secretary of State's level. But when he was on the committee, he, among the other nine agencies, found there was nothing that would uh, trigger a national security issue, and it went through. So when Trump says that Hillary Clinton approved this decision, that's a miscategorization of what happened. Right. That's totally false. She, as far as we can tell, and we've looked at this very carefully, it never rose to her level. We spoke to the person on the National Security Council staff who was in charge of uh, U.S.-Russia relations, and he said it was so unimportant he never even knew about it. It was just a relatively minor transaction. And like I said, the key agency was the Treasury Department. So... The, if you go back and look at the records, when members of Congress raised some issues about whether or not this posed a problem, they sent their letters to the Treasury Secretary. They didn't send it to the Secretary of State, because really Treasury is the person in charge of this process. So then specifically Trump and his campaign have claimed that Clinton gave or handed over 20 percent of American uranium rights to the Russians. What is this 20 percent number? Where does that come from? Right. I should note that in addition to CIFAS, there's another agency that had to approve this deal, and that's the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the NRC. And the NRC at that time had said that the licenses held by Uranium One represented approximately 20 percent of the current licensed uranium in situ recovery production capacity in the United States. <laughs> so, but, what is that in English? <laughs> yeah, what, yes. What in situ recovery is a is a particular way of getting uranium out of the ground. Uh, the uranium in the United States is not really high quality uranium and you don't necessarily dig a mine to get it out. Instead, what you do is you pump a particular solution into the ore deposit, it dissolves uranium, then they pump out the liquid they dry it. It becomes something called yellow cake, and that's a kind of powdery uranium substance. 
these particular facilities owned by Uranium One had the capacity to be 20% of this particular method of extracting uranium. So already you see it's not all the uranium. It's not actually the uranium they're even getting. And in fact, at the moment, I recently checked the records, it's only 2% of the uranium that's actually being mined in the United States. So just to put it into context, you're talking about a tiny percentage of a tiny percentage. But it sounds like, oh, 20% of our uranium. Well, it's not 20% of our uranium. It's 20% of a particular process, and it's just the capacity, the potential. So let's pivot to the possible connections between Uranium One and the Clinton Foundation, these donations that Trump has mentioned. What's happening there? What's happened? Well, again, it's, it's, um, it's one of these complex things. <laughs> this is so simple. Yeah, I- <laughs> So there was a Canadian mining financier who was a donor to the Clinton Foundation, and he sold his stake in Uranium One in 2007. And so that was before it was sold to the Russians? Before it was sold to the Russians. So when people talk about $140 million in donations, they're mostly talking about donations from this Canadian mining financier, and they're mostly talking about donations that took place before Clinton was even running for president in 2008. So that's a really huge stretch. And, you know, there are some other individuals connected to Uranium One who donated it to the Clinton Foundation. But I think the, this Canadian fin- mining financier makes up about $139 million of the $145 million in donations. So there are lots and lots of little dots that people have tried to connect. As far as we can tell, none of it really adds up. And it's worth noting that the the original accusations concerning this deal were made in a book that was published with funding by Steve Bannon, mm-hmm. who is a you know had been a senior advisor to President Trump. So you have to take all of this with a large grain of salt. Yeah. So then, in your assessment, what is the truth here? Are there grounds for a Justice Department investigation based on what you've reported? There were always grounds for a Justice Department investigation. So, I mean, you can't rule anything out. But the, but the actual accusation that there was some sort of quid pro quo that, you know, induced Clinton to allow for the purchase of these U.S. mines, there's no there there. You know, we've fact-checked this. Everyone has fact-checked this. There's just no evidence he was even involved in this transaction. should the Justice Department have here? How do special investigations work, and what are the limitations on the president's influence on criminal prosecutions? Peter Zeidenberg, who once served as deputy special counsel in the probe of former White House aide Louis Scooter Libby, explains what's at risk if the Justice Department becomes politicized. So we've seen President Trump speak publicly about wanting the Justice Department to investigate Hillary Clinton. How much influence does a president typically have over the Justice Department? Well, he has influence in the sense that he helps through the attorney general to set policy and priorities and what they're going to focus on. So if it's going to be immigration, if it's going to be drugs, if it's going to be, you know, whatever the Department of Justice priorities would be, the attorney general would make with the president's input because he's part of the administration and he would be 
trying to effectuate the president's priorities. But that's sort of on the macro level. On the micro level, the president should have virtually no input whatsoever on what's going on in terms of individual prosecutions. Yeah. So along those lines, Trump has tried to influence not only this potential Clinton investigation, but he's also done things like use Twitter to call for the death penalty in the case of the terrorists in New York a few weeks ago. Is that a common thing? Do presidents typically speak so publicly about ongoings of the Justice Department? No. And and when they have, it's usually considered a big uh, problem and a gaffe, and then they try and, you know, fix it. There have been uh, individual cases, instances when presidents have done that, and they're sort of immediately pointed out to them why that's a big problem. And they're not spectators who can just, you know, make comments the way the rest of us would when, when they read something in the newspaper or see something in the press or on television. They have to be very careful about what they say because of their relationship with the Justice Department. Can you elaborate a, li- a little bit on why it's problematic for a president to speak out about these things? Well, the Justice Department is supposed to be apolitical, and it's supposed to be following the law and looking at the facts and then making judgments based on the law and the facts and precedent. And it's not supposed to be making prosecutorial decisions based on political decisions. And the presidency is a political position. Right. Okay. So let's pivot a little to talk about how special counsel investigations usually work. How does the Justice Department typically handle the hiring of a special prosecutor? Well, a decision is made based on the regulations that were drafted up after the special counsel law lapsed almost 20 years ago. And so now the attorney general makes the decision to appoint if there's a determination that a criminal investigation is warranted and that there is a, a significant conflict of interest that would prevent the Department of Justice from doing the uh, investigation and prosecution. So would you say special prosecutors are hired from an apolitical place? Or there's a, there's, I mean, they're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the goal. Right, right. So Hillary Clinton is now a private citizen. Are special prosecutors often appointed to investigate people who are now private citizens? Have we seen that before? Uh, I can't think of any. Um, Now, that's not to say that theoretically it couldn't happen or it's necessarily improper based on that fact because it could be any criminal matter. I mean, typically it's not because the only time there's going to be a conflict of interest in, in the normal circumstances is because it's a conflict because there's some kind of a political issue involved. And so generally speaking, these are people who are would have been in you know, are in political office, but, you know, she left political office. That's not the issue. That's not the problem. The problem is the whole idea of a special counsel in this context is, is frankly, ridiculous and, and, and frightening. And it's ridiculous and frightening from your perspective because it's a sitting president going after his former political opponent. Well, that's why it's sort of unseemly. But Theoretically, that's not my problem with it. I mean, if there were evidence that there was criminal conduct, then I wouldn't say, well, the fact that person X had run for president and lost, so therefore 
they shouldn't be prosecuted. I mean, look, why I think it's bizarre and ridiculous is the fact, first of all, there is no conflict of interest. I don't understand why the current Department of Justice, if they thought there was something inappropriate about Uranium One, why they can't investigate it. There's no conflict of interest there. The, the conflict of interest with President Trump is self-evident. Having the Department of Justice investigate the sitting president when the attorney general was part of his campaign is a conflict. So that's a problem. There's no similar analog with Hillary Clinton. So let's talk a little bit about Jeff Sessions' role here. He said that he'll weigh recommendations from senior prosecutors about whether to appoint this special counsel to investigate Clinton. What might Jeff Sessions' motivations be in this case? Well, let's see. Save his job, that would be one. And, you know, if if it's not based on that, then hopefully he'll base it on the recommendations he'd get. And, and, you know, unless there's information out there that no one seems to have made public, then, you know, the decision seems like would be a pretty straightforward one. But who is the attorney general ultimately responsible to? You say to save his job. Is he is he responsible to the president or to the American people? Well, you know, he takes an oath to the Constitution to protect and defend the Constitution. So ultimately, he's supposed to follow the law, and and he works at the pleasure of the president, but the president isn't his boss. You know, it's not... You know, it's not like you're in a a company and you're the vice president and the president and a a corporation tells you what to do. You just have to do it. You have, it's different. You, You take an oath of office and it's not an oath to an individual. It's to the Constitution. So, Devlin, you've covered national security for a long time. How unusual does Trump's behavior seem to you, particularly calling very publicly for an investigation into his political opponent? I think it's it's very unusual. This Much of what the president does regarding the Justice Department is deeply unusual. So, for example, in the last administration, President Obama ruffled a lot of feathers when he wait, said in an interview that he thought in terms of the Clinton email investigation, he didn't think that she intentionally jeopardized any any national security information. That was seen during the investigation as an incredibly inappropriate thing for a president to say, and he got some grief over it. What Trump is doing is exponentially more impactful than, than what Obama did in that situation because Trump is publicly demanding investigations of individual people, his former political foe, and really the concern that gets expressed by a lot of the folks I talk to is All of this stuff just makes the DOJ look like a political tool of the administration, and that's incredibly dangerous a position for the Justice Department to be in. Right. What might be the consequences for the American people to have essentially dueling special prosecutor investigations looking into both of the major party nominees from the 2016 election? I mean, does that have real impact for the American people? I think it does because if that were to happen, I think what you would see is you would have an investigation that is a counterweight, a political counterweight to another investigation. And there would be some competition between those two things to, add to for sort of like the public's faith and confidence as to which is more important. That seems problematic to me on a number of levels. And it also seems like what you would basically be saying is the Justice Department itself cannot do important investigations in this environment, which I think a lot of people who are who are veterans of that building and who care about that work, that possibility of them is horrifying. 
Yeah. Are there larger consequences for undermining the Justice Department? Well, yes. I mean, I think one of the things you saw last year during the election was that there were a couple polls taken about the credibility of the FBI. And in that political season, and given the way the FBI was involved in the campaign, the credibility of the FBI shifted wildly in the course of the last four months of that campaign. And I think the FBI has generally been highly regarded by the American public as a public you know, opinion matter. And I think the, the great concern among government folks is that this process, this, this constant arguing about political investigations, will continue to erode the public confidence in the Justice Department and in the FBI, and that that could have long-term consequences for everything they do. So speaking of the public's confidence, at this point, do Trump supporters even want to see an investigation into Hillary Clinton? Is this just a thing that was his campaign rhetoric, but they don't actually want to see that? They'd rather see legislative victories? Or or is he really appealing to his base with, with this? There seems to be a healthy appetite in his base for this kind of investigation. I think he talks about this stuff a lot, and his supporters talk about this stuff a lot, partly probably because it's it's a way to change the topic from the Russia stuff. But I also think there's an old saying about politicians is, is that they keep doing whatever it was that got them there. And for Trump, attacking Hillary Clinton is largely what got him here. Mm-hmm. So he is the president, and it in some level, it makes sense for him to keep attacking Hillary Clinton. And certainly there is there is an audience for that still. Yeah. So that brings us to our final question. It's our can he do that question of the week. Can a president pressure the Justice Department into investigating his political opponents? And if so, what are the long-term consequences of that or short-term consequences of that? Well, he can. And it's happened before and it's always been viewed as a bad thing. The long-term consequences of that are that the country loses faith in, in the fairness and impartiality of the Justice Department, which, which can be a big deal. The whole world of special counsels basically has as its premise that the Justice Department can't do something. So the more special counsels you have, in theory, the less you believe the Justice Department can do anything. And I think that has, that could have severe long-term consequences for the, for the agency. All right, Devlin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure, thank you. You guys can follow Devlin Barrett on Twitter at... Devlin Barrett. Or you guys can follow me, Allison Michaels, at Allison Mikes. You've been listening to another episode of Can He Do That? But before we go, I have one piece of news to share. I'm going on maternity leave soon. I know, I'm sad to leave you too. But Can He Do That? will take a break in mid-December for the holidays, and we'll come back with some guest hosts to take care of you for a couple of months until I get back. Thanks so much for listening. You guys can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Public. You can find us there. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the intrepid Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks and logo art from Loren Boglio. like can he do that you should check out some of our other great podcasts like constitutional a series about how people have framed and reframed the constitution over time from host lillian cunningham or try cape up with jonathan capehart where jonathan brings you the voices you need to hear on the topics you try to avoid you can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at washingtonpost.com podcasts the washington 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 post, post.